Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 21. We would say poor old Paul, but Paul wouldn't take it as poor old Paul. Amen? Paul knows he's been taking a whipping for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he knows, and he says it twice, Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 21, he was called for this very purpose. He knew that he was going to suffer for the cause of Christ. Acts 21, and I want you to actually, if you will, the will of the Lord be done. That's the title of today's message. You don't have notes on the back of your bulletin because I got so caught up in writing Sunday school lessons. I, was, I sent Jeremiah and Melissa and Chris. I, I put everything in the wrong. I put March 14th notes. I was already jumping ahead to chapter 22, ready to go. But at least March 14th is ready to go, and, uh, but not in your bulletin. So take notes. I'll preach slower this morning, hopefully. And um, if you came to Sunday school... Life group, didn't you enjoy this? Did you enjoy this morning? This kind of format it was kind of nice. Oren, thank you for teaching. That was a very calming teacher. And then they got to come and you have to come and hear me. So I thought, but 9 a.m. we're doing a modified Sunday school life group, and then we encourage you to come. There's room to spread out, and obviously even now in the sanctuary, there's seats around back. You can spread out about anywhere you need to come. Social distancing or physical distancing, not social, because social is a bad word. Right? We want to be social with each other and talk to each other and love each other. We physically distance. If you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. There's no shame in the game here at Town Creek. You do it the way you got to be done, be done for you, right? If you need to stay at home, those that are home, God bless you. I did that for two weeks, uh, for a week, and it killed me. I, I was visiting another church with Alex two weeks ago and then uh, staying at home watching uh, because I was not feeling well. And we made a big push. If you don't feel good, don't come to church. Don't come to work at our, our, at our workplace here Monday through Friday. Don't come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. Don't come to church if you're feeling sick at all. And a lot of people say, well, I got tested on Monday. If you haven't got results from your test, you may go ahead and leave now. <laughs> Amen? Because if something produced you a thought to go get a test, something inside of you says, I don't feel so good. I need to be tested. Unless your workplace makes you test. But if you, don't, if you have a test or still pending, I would encourage you to go ahead and Go watch us by television or watch uh, the recording and just to go, uh, go home and stay home. Amen? Don't you want your neighbors to stay home with their invisible cooties? Can we still call them cooties? That's what we call it. Girls always had cooties when we were little boys. Anybody else ever hear that? Besides, I'll make sure I'm in the audience. All right. Well, look, we're going to look into the book of Acts. And, and Paul was a beloved brother. He, 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 was, he was on board, as, as Oren talked about this morning. He was invested in the people that he was preaching the gospel to. These are the same people who rejected him, who abused him, who tried to kill him and even did kill him, if you will. If he got stoned to death, we believe he was stoned on that day. These are the very people that he had to forgive and then turn back around and preach the gospel to them so that they might live. He even comes to the place that he would, that they would be saved and if, if it cost him his salvation. Paul wanted the people, especially the Jews, to be saved and especially the Gentiles, because he preached. He went, gave up his life of luxury, if you will. He had all the nice things in life. He gave it all up for the glory of God. Acts 21, let's jump in together. Some hard words, not normal words for us, maybe not hard, but some words that we don't usually use in this passage, but let's read together. Now, it came to pass, and I told you that's probably my favorite in the Bible. Because it's God showing that it happened just as he said it would happen, and it came to pass. Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, where he came to Kos the following day to Rhodes, and from there 
to Patera. If you look at the map, if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, you actually see how they actually sailed. If you look, if you have a Bible, if you're blessed with a Bible with maps in the back, you look at those maps and you look at how they travel. Where, where are they traveling from? All right, they're coming from Ephesus and they're traveling to where? To Jerusalem. Okay, so they're, they're traveling. You can actually see, and he's even going to tell, Luke's going to describe what they're seeing as they pass their way. All right? And some of these things are going to be, it's just basic geography. Uh, and finding a ship sailing over uh, to Phoenicia, uh, we went aboard and set sail. When we sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, landed in Tyre, and there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there how many days? A week. We stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. What is the command from the church there at Tyre? Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're giving out a warning. Had Paul already been warned before this time from another set of disciples or the church? Yes. But before that, had Paul been warned by God? Yes. Paul knew what he was doing. He had a commandment from God. Let's get up and go. He's going. The church in Ephesus said, hey, don't go, Paul. There's, we, we know there's going to be trouble for you in Jerusalem. He sets sail to Tyre. He ends in Tyre. Spends a week with him. Paul, please don't go. There's, there's, there's damage awaiting you in Jerusalem. He gets warned at least three times in this short time. And when they had come together at the end of those days, we departed and we went our way, verse 5. And they all accompanied us with wives and children until we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave from one another, we boarded the ship. And they returned home. That's pretty basic, isn't it? We got on the ship, they went to their house. <laughs> this is daily living. I want you to see it not as a story from the Bible. See it as the church living each day under the will of God. This is what this is. This is like for me and you. If we, if we, we go to work today or tomorrow, whenever it might be. And here we verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. And we had taken our leave of one another. We boarded the ship. They returned home. Verse 7. And when they had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to this word that we don't use often, but it's, the P is silent. Telemus uh, uh, greeted the brethren and stayed with them how many days? One day. Totally different church. Verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed from there to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, how long? Many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now we had heard these things, both we and those from the place, that place pleaded with him not to go where? Where did he set his mind to go? Then Paul answered, Why do you mean, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, Say it with me, church. The will of the Lord be done. These people had compassion and love for Paul. Paul had compassion and love for them. But Paul loved somebody more than they loved the church. By the way, the church is going to be and is in the process of becoming the bride of Christ. Would you agree? 
if I love my wife, Wendy, which I do, but I love someone else's wife more, that would be an affair. Would you agree? So who has to love the other wife more? Her husband, right? So who is the husband, if you will, of the bride of Christ? The answer is in the question. It is Christ. It is Christ who is the head of the church. It is Christ who is basically the bridegroom of the bride. We are his bride preparing for that day when we just sing about, we'll stand around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the church of God. Every place that Paul lands his foot is the church of God. The believers there gather. We can read it as just a narrative, uh, historical narrative that comes from the book of Acts and say, yeah, this happened, this happened, and this happened, and just tell it like a story because we're so used to a children's Sunday school story. Without looking at it, and I told you many times, I try to put myself in the story. I try to be an observer, if you will, there at the time. And I want you to see in your notes, if you don't have notes, I'm going to give you some notes. I want you to see, I think, do we have a Melissa above? You'll see them upstairs. I want you to see this. This is something I just put in my note in my head. Our lives are full of ups and downs. Would you agree? Especially 2020. If you hadn't had any ups or downs in your life, 2020 sure brought them. 2021 is not panning out to be much better if you ask our brothers in Texas. And, and I hope that you're praying for our Christian brothers and even those that are not Christians in Texas and all the other places that's under a deep freeze that aren't used to it because God uses every situation in life for his glory. This pandemic didn't catch God by surprise. What's happened to the church? We've tried to figure out ways to put the services online and, and how to actually spread out. People sitting in the parking lot this morning, tuning their horns, saying amen. I mean, all kinds of different things are happening that the word of God might go out. We're, we're going to see, obviously, we won't know for sure. But in heaven, God sees everything that's happening. Every time there's a dilemma, every time there's death and suffering, God's people rise to the occasion. That's why we tried our best, and we did. We stayed open through the whole pandemic. Not so we can, as Oren talked about this morning, we're not cowboys and trying to brag that we're tougher than anybody, that we lack faith or we lack even anything, that we're, uh, we're afraid of the government or afraid of the pandemic or anything like that. We just said we trust the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're an adult, we believe that you're smart enough to take care of yourself. If you're sick, you stay home. If you're at risk, you stay home. But the Bible says very clearly, how do we actually mandate a pandemic when it says, do not forsake yourselves a, a, a gathering together, as some have done so? We must somehow gather. How do we gather? Even if it's at a distance, we gather and say, man, I really need you. I, I really miss seeing you. I really love talking to you. Uh, you encourage me. And now we're doing it through text and other ways, but that's very informal. There's nothing like the human touch. Would you agree? There's nothing like the church when the God says, meet together. In the pandemic, the government says, don't meet together. There's nothing like singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the government says, don't sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Don't sing at all. Remember during the pandemic, California, don't sing at all. No choir, no praise team, don't sing at all. What is Satan doing? Satan's taking the very word of God, turning it and flip-flopping it. So whatever God says, Satan in turn says the opposite. In a culture that's run by men and women who are not God-fearing Men and women, what happens? You follow what the world says in Satan's way. You don't follow God's demands or God's uh, commands. We never know when we might hear good news or bad news. Most people, this is true, I know it's on the screen, most fear the day when the word comes, we have a terminal disease and or only have a short time to live. When Wendy got the news that she had cancer, first thing that happened was, what do we do? When you got your news, whatever your news is or by the way, just so you know, the longer you live, the more 
opportunities you have to have the pending news that might something that might be happening. It can be happening now while we're sitting here this morning. You don't even know it's coming, but when you get the news and the diagnosis, whatever it might be, fear can set in if you're not careful. We fear the C word or we fear heart problems or we fear lung problems, whatever it might be, the pandemic we fear. And fear can set in and say, oh no, I can't do that. And fear causes people to actually run to a corner and hover down and take care of what? What's the first law of preservation? Who do you take care of? You'll take care of yourself. You'll feed yourself. You'll, it'll be me first, me, myself, and I. Those three people will get in line to fight over who gets in front of the line. <laughs> this is true from all of us. Most fear of the day when the word comes, and here's what I want to challenge you with. If we would change our focus to the Lord and his will, like Paul, we would walk with a much bolder walk. As we mature in Christ, we trust more. We will trust more. The more mature you get, the more you'll trust. But something happens to our faith if we don't exercise our faith by reading the Word of God and even being challenged. Just like in a gymnasium, you get challenged. I, uh, the boys were working out this past year and, and even this year. I did it last year. We have a gymnasium. We bought Midland Valley High School's gym, some of the pieces and components, a couple years ago for the kids to work out. And the boys were talking about bench pressing 185 pounds. I was like, I can do 185 pounds. Now remember, this is I haven't worked out in how many years? 30 years, I, I, I just, when I got out of the Navy, I just promised God I'd never run again, and I pretty much kept that word <laughs> and working out. So the boy said, come on, Pastor, let's see what you got. And I said, 185, no, in my mind, when's the last time I've pushed 185 pounds? It's back when I was in the military working on a regular basis. So I was like, put 185 pounds on. These boys can tell you. Put 185 pounds on, I push it. How many times? I got a good, I got 10, I got nine or 10 out of it, didn't I? Then we get, they said, well, what's next? I said, put 225 on there. If you never worked out, 185 to 225. So I get under, I'm, and I'm talking trash the whole time I'm doing it. Just my nature. And I go to push up on 225, and a blood vessel or something burst in my nose, and blood went down my throat. I could feel it. I got up, said, nope, I'll do it later. I didn't tell them to later what happened, because I, I knew I would kill myself if I, I probably dropped it on my neck or chest. Uh, just because I thought I could do it because that's the way I used to do it. Any of you men like that? Any of you ladies like that? I know men are like that, right? Our brain still tells us we're 17 years old, and our body says, eh, wrong answer, right? That's not a Jeopardy answer. Uh, you, you get a discount, you get a minus for that. That's just how we are. Paul, listen, Paul comes to this place, he's walking, he's taking the beating, or ran through uh, what he says in, in the book of Corinthians, how he was, in 2 Corinthians, how he was beaten, how he was shipwrecked, all the different things. He kind of categorizes everything in one nutshell, what happened to him. But here we see him walking in faith. He said three different church groups say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. He said one prophet come out and prophesy, say, if you go to Jerusalem, let me hold your belt for a second. He tied his hands and his feet together. Whoever, whoever belt this is, this is how he's going to be bound to Jerusalem. It was a prophecy. And what is a prophecy? A prophecy is a truth from God. So did the church trust the, prophecy, the prophet? Yes. Did the church trust the prophecy? Yeah. Did Paul trust the prophecy? Yes. He fully trusted as a truth from God. So he knew for a fact now not only how it was going to happen, he, uh, uh, that it was going to happen, he knew now how it was going to happen. And you're going to see right when he gets there, he gets greeted. God gives him just a brief reprieve. We're going to see next week. And then it's going to be true. He's bound with two chains next week. Just it happens right away. Well, Luke, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. He's traveling with Paul. Do you have any respect for the book of, uh, for Luke, the, the Dr. Luke? We have respect for him. He's there. 
He's along with Paul. Luke shared how Paul and his traveling companions left the elders in Ephesus. Paul told them he would never return. This was hard on all. There's pastors that leave when God calls. There's missionaries who leave the mission field. Even McKenzie, I heard her this week talking to someone in Thailand. And, of course, they have to call. To call during the day, they have to call at night. There's 11 or 12 hours, depending on the time change between the two. There's a separation, and McKenzie is still ministering in Thailand, even though she's not in Thailand. She's encouraging the saints, just like Paul would be. And Paul tells here the church at Ephesus, I'm not coming back. You'll never see my face again. And they wept together. They prayed together. And they commissioned him and sent him off. How many times have we done that? Especially as Southern Baptists, we're coming up on Andy Armstrong Easter offering. We're going we're gonna to take up an offering. It's in your bullet today just as an as a, a, a identification to know what our mission is. We'll set an offering amount that we want to raise together and give specifically to missions in North America. And, and, and we know a lot even Christmas offering. We do it at Christmas. We send it to international missionaries. Sometimes whenever our missionaries pack up, they never return home. Some die on the way. And you Lord, what are you doing? Why did you let them die in a plane crash? If they stayed here, they could have been productive. We never know the reason God does what he does. But here's what we pray as a church. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Well, Luke shared up all in his traveling companions left at Ephesus. It was hard. They were, they were having a, we talked about last week, having a beach prayer time. They were, they were praying on the beach. I want you to see this. Paul and his band of disciples set sail, trusting God would make a way. Who paid for all this? Because they're on boat after boat after boat. It cost them what was equivalent to what it would cost us today to travel. Who paid for all this travel? We know last week Paul said, listen, I didn't ask for anybody's anything. I didn't covet your stuff. I didn't want your money. I didn't want anybody's house. I worked with my hands. I worked with my hands that I would provide for myself, and I worked with my hands that I might provide for Luke and all the other ones. And I'm sure Luke, being a physician, he would have actually been doing some doctoring, if you will. That's just southern term. He, he'd been practicing his medicine, helping people, whatever it takes to, to make ends meet. But also, we'll see when we get into the book of Philippians, all the other churches sent an offering to Paul. They would say, use this for the glory of God. We read about it earlier in Acts when Paul and Silas, when they, were be, when they would travel, that the money would be sent by these couriers to keep the mission alive. That's why we have missions offerings. If we didn't, if the church was paid off 100%, every pastor, we, it was 100% paid, there's no salary. If there was no taxes, if there was no any kind of bills whatsoever, would we as a church still give 10% of our income to the Lord's work? The answer is yes. You don't give to keep the ministry alive. Do you understand that? You give to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ who gives you life. You give to the Lord Jesus Christ who gives you opportunity to work. He give, you, you give to the Lord Jesus Christ because he commanded. He comes to the place, he wants you to give all of yourself. He don't want just your money. Your money means nothing. Your coins and your bills mean nothing to God. What is it to him? If we change tomorrow to bitcoins, anybody know what a bitcoin is? Okay, what if they switch to bitcoin tomorrow? It's a real, it's a, it's not a real currency. I should say it's a real currency. It's a currency upcoming. That's what the, listen, that's what the beast is going to do. The mark of the beast, the 666. If you have billions of dollars in the bank, you got cash flowing, and tomorrow the government says, we're no longer going to recognize cash or coins. We're going to recognize chips. What would your money be? Your money would be worth what? Nothing. So in a snap of a finger, you could go from being the richest person to the poorest. 
just off other people's decisions. So who do we trust in? Friend, if you're trusting in, in your money today, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, your money's got you a long way in life, or maybe you've worked really hard to get that money, but your money's useless in the kingdom of God, unless it's dedicated to the king of the kingdom. So we don't give at Town Creek Baptist Church so that we might pay some bills off, and we don't give so that we can actually live a better life. We don't even give so we might have heat and air. We give because the Lord is our king. If no one else was giving, if no one else, called, it costs no one else anything, it's not my business about what you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you're giving. It's my business about what I'm giving to the king. Even in Malachi, did y'all have to memorize that when you were kids? Bring you all the tithes where? Into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and do what? Pour you out a blessing so much that you can't stand. Before that, you know what he said to the Jews? He has this question, will a man rob God? And they said, how, do we, how can a man rob God? He said, you rob me in your tithes and offerings. You ever, you ever suck a gun in God's face? Your checking account tells the truth, doesn't it? The balance in your checking account says, I made $1,000 and I gave $2 to the church, the Lord's work. That's robbing God. You say, Pastor, it don't have to be 10%. How many times do I get pushed back when I started preaching the tithe? Pastor, the tithe is not biblical. The New Testament says Jesus loves a cheerful giver. Don't ever use that terminology around me because we're going to go straight back. Where does the tithe come from? Where do we get the definition from? Come on, church. Y'all quiet because you ain't giving. What, what? Come on. Where does the term tithe come from? The Bible, which makes it what? Biblical. Is tithing Biblical. If it comes from the Bible, it automatically makes it what? Biblical. And the Jews sometimes will give up to 60% of their income, not just 10%. And the widow with two mites gave 100% of her money to the Lord, did she not? She was commended by the Lord Jesus Christ. She gave it all. This bozo's over giving thousands of dollars, and she gives two pennies, and Jesus equates her giving is worth it all because she gave it all. Mary, we read about Mary, washed Jesus' feet with her hair. We studied that when we studied worship. Mary gave it all. She gave what would have been her wedding gift, if you will, to pay for her wedding. She gave everything. She had no reserves, nothing to go back on. She gave it all. What does God require of you? What did God require of Paul? What does God require of me? He requires it all. But church, let me tell you something this morning. If you can't trust, with your, trust God with your giving, you can't trust him with your salvation. That should have been a huge amen right there. Come on, let's do it together like we're singing holy, oh, holy. If you can't trust God with your giving, you can't trust him with your salvation. Amen? amen. It's got to be a truth because where do we find out about salvation? Is salvation biblical? Yes. Is tithing biblical? Yes. Who's the king of the Bible? Come on, who's the king of the Bible? Jesus. King Jesus. Do you think he speaks on these things? Somebody will walk out of the church and say, all that pastor talks about is money. Shame on you. Because all I'm doing is quoting Jesus. You take it up with him. Amen? You take up your giving, your living with the Lord Jesus Christ. You take up your fasting and praying with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that commands you to pray. He's the one that commands you to fast. Because when he said in Matthew 5, when you pray, or Matthew 6, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, these are things that Jesus taught that as preachers, this good news, all we got to do is repeat what Jesus said. 
And it makes everybody mad because when you're in violation of what Jesus said, it brings about conviction and guilt. And you start thinking, well, this ring cost me X amount of thousand dollars. This watch cost me so much extra money. I could have got a Timex for $2.50, but I wanted to get one with diamonds and pearls. These shoes cost me. Ladies, how many set of shoes do you have in your closet? How many of those shoes, they, somebody used Tithe to buy those shoes? How many dresses do you need? How many ties do we need? How many sports coats do we need? Well, I got to look different than I did last week. I, I got to be fashionable. Adrian told me he was going out. He's got to go out to another service, so that's why he left out. But we understand, listen, there is something for us as believers that we have a responsibility to read the word and heed the word. Now, Paul, during this time, the word's being written. So if they didn't have the Bible, what would they have? They would have the scrolls of the Old Testament. They would say, blessed is he, and then they would read off, and they would read the scroll. They would read from Isaiah. They would read from the Psalms. They would read from the Torah. They would read all the words of Moses. They would come back and read from the word of God. Paul and his disciples, listen, they trusted God would make a way. They landed in Tyre, and look what the Bible says. And then I said men would say. Men would say to unload cargo. That's why the ship stopped there. But why did the ship really stop in Tyre? The ship stopped in Tyre because the church at Tyre needed to be refreshed. Those disciples there, it, it's getting tough to be in a pagan uh, society. The church needed refreshment, but here's something else. Paul and his team, Dr. Luke, Paul, they're tired too. They needed a rest. So when we come together as a church, that's why we say life group is the backbone of our church. We bring about refreshment. You might bring a smile or a word from the Lord because if you're truly a Christian, you have a gift, a spiritual gift given to you that only you have with your personality. I might have the same gift, but it doesn't come across the same because of my personality. And so somebody at church is bringing all their weight to the church. I can't make it another day, Lord. I'm thinking about taking my life, Lord. I'm worth nothing. My value is low. I've lost everything. And they come to church and somebody pats them on the back and says, listen, you look nice today. Listen, you, you always encourage me with every word you say. And what happens to your spirit when someone else encourages you and brings you back to the Lord Jesus Christ? It brings you up so that you're ready for another day, another week, seven days from now, you're up and your batteries might be down again. And what happens when you come to church? A child might come and encourage you, hold your hand. Thank you for being my teacher. A teenager might say, I remember when you took us fishing. I remember whatever it might be. Fill in the blank. Somebody encourages somebody at the house of God. Amen? That's where it starts. People with the gift of giving. Pastor, I saw so-and-so. They have a problem with their car. Well, then give them a car. Give them your car. Right? And some people, when they call it, Pastor, I really want to give a car to the church, but I want to give it so that it goes to this person. You know what that's called? Laundering money. That's what the mafia does. If you feel convicted that somebody in this church needs a car and you want to give them a car, don't give it to the church because we won't give it to the person. You say, we'll give it to the person next on the list. You can't give money to somebody so that it goes over here. Somebody says, well, I want to give to this family because they're in need. Then guess what? Give to the family in need. Don't try to launder it through the church so you get a tax write-off. If there's somebody that you know is in need, God's put that person on your heart. Just like this church, give to that person. Does the Lord see your giving? Yes, he sees it. And, and listen, can I say something without being a sinful pride? He's proud of you. He's rejoicing that you're being obedient the way he told you to be. How should you give? Jesus said you give, press down. It's going to be measured. Listen, God he didn't just put something in the bag. He, he's in there. God says, Jesus says, stuff it down and give him some more. Put it on top of that. So stuff your bag full. 
Come to the place, watch what Paul does. This is pretty cool. That ship stopped at Tyre. Yes, to unload the cargo, because the Bible says so. But also know so that the church at Tyre needed to be encouraged. Paul, Luke, and all the disciples traveling with him need to be encouraged. And they also need a place to stay. And they also needed food to eat. If you've ever traveled overseas in missions, you know when you get around the church of God, man, it's great for Baptist preachers. We love to eat. We get fat all the time. Listen, it's the church that makes pastors fat, just for the record. Because every time I come to somebody's house, they want to give me pie or food or something. And I enjoy it. I guess that won't hold water since I should have lost weight during COVID because we haven't visited as much. But then going to Nicaragua, eating all different foods, Honduras, food, going to, going to uh, Kenya and Tanzania. Listen, the church is the church. I'm like, y'all are just like Southern folks. Y'all want to feed me every time I come in. I've had the greatest fish by the poorest people on Lake Turkana. I've ever had more. I love fish, fried fish, baked fish. I love it anyway. But the be- a pastor's wife fixed me fish on some remote, nondescript island in Lake Turkana. Lake Victoria, I'm sorry. And by, I've never seen freshwater lakes with a tide. Have you ever seen uh, that? So it's just like the ocean. Tide comes in just like the ocean, but it's fresh water. And, and they have, it's called Nile perch is what they catch from there. Incredible food. You could sell it for $50 a plate if you had it here in America. Just incredible food with nothing. Old plastic Tupperware that floated up somewhere, it looked like, like dog, we wouldn't even feed our dogs out of some things we ate out of, the way they looked. But she washed everything diligently. She prepared everything gently, and, and she produced the best for us. This is what the church did, especially around the Mediterranean. Listen, the food. If, you, if you've ever been to the Mediterranean, the food is incredible. Do you like, anybody like Mediterranean food? You're getting hungry right now and saying, hurry up, let's go, to, let's go to lunch. Think of the salads and the olives and all the stuff that they would, they would actually prepare. That's what this church did. They brought Paul and his team in. They prepared the meals for him. But guess what happened when Paul's eating? Blessed are you when... And he's going to start quoting Jesus. He's going to start talking about encouragement from the Old Testament. He's going to tell them they can be the people of God that he wants, that God wants them to be. There's encouragement upon encouragement. It goes both ways. Derek talked about in the nursing home when he studied, he let her study a couple weeks ago. When we had opportunity to go into the nursing home Sunday afternoons, we asked everybody, hey, who wants to come and sing? And they don't care. The, the nursing home uh, page, patients don't care if you can sing or not. That's why it was such a beautiful thing. Nobody's recording. I have no microphone and I'm singing. They can't hear well anyway, but they sure can sing and rejoice. A lot, many in, in those, if you're in nursing home ministry, stand up. I want you to attest to this. If you did it one time, if you just went or went more than one time, stand up. And so many people actually was involved in nursing home ministry before they shut it down. Thank you and God bless you. But listen, is this true? Yeah, can give them a round of, give them a pause. Is it true when we would sing the old hymns, they would just pipe up and start singing the hymns? You'd have somebody like this, and if you sing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, they would be the loudest person singing, or any of the old hymns that we would sing. That's why we still sing some of the old hymns, because there's a generation who's being left behind that people aren't visiting, that people aren't loving. And when you take Jesus to them, listen, they might not hear anything you say during a message or devotion, whatever you say, but they'll sing those songs. They'll come alive for that short period of time and then go right back away. Next Sunday, they'll pop up. And then as we see them even passing away, it's, it's like our family has died. And since we've been away, it's been so hard to be away from that ministry. But that ministry is a demonstration how we go in to bring a blessing to those ladies and gentlemen that are in nursing homes. And in turn, and you can ask anybody who stood up, you leave there with a bigger blessing than you went to give. 
you come back going, wow, what a, what a refreshment that was. Yes, it took my Sunday afternoon. Yes, now I got to have all this other stuff to catch up with, but it was worth the investment because I gave and they in turn gave to me. This is what Paul is talking to the church there at Tyre and even here on the island. Paul experienced another church service on the beach with the men and women and children of Tyre. They told Paul through the Spirit, your word says, not to go where? Here's a warning. Paul understood the warning, but set his mind on going anyway. He knelt with them, he prayed with them, and then he did what? He said, sell, it's got to go. The church, the men, women, and children, what'd they do? They went home. What did Paul do? He said, sell to Jerusalem. Did the church have a mission the next day after Paul set sail? Yes, the church never stopped their mission. What is their, what is their mission? The mission is the Great Commission. It's to go to all the nations, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything that Jesus taught his disciples. That's the command of the church at Tyre. As Paul was packing up, setting sail with Luke and all the other disciples, what was their mission? Go to all the nations, Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything that Jesus taught his disciples. When you and I sit here at 250 Town Creek Road, what is our commission? Go to the nations, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that Jesus taught his disciples. And when you finish doing that, do it all over again. And when you finish, do it all over again. And when you finish, do it all over again. It never stops. You say, well, that sounds laborious. Listen, Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing. This is kingdom work we're talking about doing. Yeah, you have a, you have a sophisticated job title, maybe, but the only reason you have that job title is because God gave it to you. You might have went to school for it, but he allowed you or family or somebody to help you get through school or help you work through school. You might have whatever it might be. You might lead something. Or you might have the lowliest or be unemployed today. God knows. God knows. Can he work his will in your life and my life? no matter what our socioeconomic status is, no matter where we find ourselves living today, what we're eating, who we're around. If it's godly people, listen, God will use you for his glory. Well, we see the church is bigger. I'll put this in your notes. We see the church is bigger than the local address. Put that down. This is just, I wish it wasn't called Town Creek Baptist Church. I wish it was called the church meeting at 250 Town Creek Road, right? Because the church is meeting down the street, another church is meeting down the road, another church is meeting across town, around the world. The church is a church, no matter what the name is on the sign. Amen? But we've got to make sure, what does the church have to teach and preach? The Word of God. Let me get through this quickly for you. God allowed Paul and his team to minister to another set of disciples and Ptolemaic. Uh, God knows who needs what encouragement when they need it. The church at Tyre needed seven days of encouragement. The church at the next stop only needed one day of encouragement. Something's going on that God knows what you need when you need it. And Philippians 4.19, Paul says it later. We can jump to it. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Well, when I quoted Malachi 3.10, when I quoted that, Philippians 4.19, is God up in heaven with a treasure chest going, shh, 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 pouring out coins? What would be the value of gold if God dropped it out of heaven? If we didn't have to work for the value, what would be the value of it? We would, we would minimize it. Did you know it was illegal in America to own gold some years ago? And that was the, if you were caught with gold, you could actually spend years in prison. You had to turn all your gold in. 
by order of the President of the United States of America? Look it up. It's incredible. But God doesn't drop gold nuggets or coins from heaven. Where's his riches and glory? You know where it is. You've heard me say it before. Where's God's riches and glory? It's in your checking account. It's in your wallet. God will say, hey, you move money over here. Give money over here. You do what I say. What if the church, just think of this for a moment, just, just for a moment. I don't know what everybody makes. I don't care. I don't know what everybody gives. Except for deacons. If you go put your name in for a deacon, by the way, and you're not a giver, just go ahead and tell me to take your name off, okay? If you're, you're not going to be in leadership and not give. Because most people in Baptist churches especially want to give a dollar and control the budget. Our budget is $2.3 million. It's big, but not very big. If you're not giving to the Lord's work, don't bother putting your name in for deacon. So when I call you or you get a letter, just say, no, thank you. Because I'm going to send those names to Derek. Say, Derek, are these people giving on a regular basis? He didn't know what you make. He didn't know where you work necessarily. We don't care about that. But you've got to be giving on a regular basis, showing as unto the Lord, I want to give to the Lord's work. Because do you want a leader leading you who's not giving to the church? Yes or no? Say it out loud. Yes or no? No. If someone preaches or teaches in front of you and says, hey, this is required from the Bible, and they're not doing it, do you want to be a part of that? Hypocrisy at its highest. Why would we dare? Pastor, we need to start a new ministry. Okay. Do you want to direct it? Go see Derek. Let's see if you're giving on a regular basis. He has, somebody has a no. Derek and Arlene, unfortunately, this is so hard for them to sit in church when they hear me preach this. They know what you give. I don't. I don't ask. As a pastor, do I have a right to know? The answer is absolutely yes, I'm the shepherd. But do I choose to know? No, because I want to greet you Sunday morning face-to-face and love you no matter what you give. But you know if you're guilty of being disobedient to the Lord, don't you? Don't we? I've been there when I was younger, stupid. They spend it on this, spend it on that, credit card this, bills like this get so, oh, Pastor, I, got, I wouldn't give, but I got so many bills. Well, then sell your house, quit your job, get another job, get a second job, whatever. But be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You mean you want me to go get a second full-time job just to tie to the Lord's work? What's the word? Some people say, and, and Mackenzie was sharing with me, she was at a church to death. This pastor said, you can go ahead and start, if you're not giving to the Lord, just go ahead and start giving at 1% or 2% to the Lord. And just ease your way into giving. I said, what chapter and verse did he quote for that? Remember, it's not my words, it's not my desires, it comes from the Word of God. God has a plan for our lives. He's trying to test your heart. Do you love me? That's what he's asking over. That's what he asked Paul. Paul, you're going, all the church said, Paul... You're going to be arrested in Jerusalem. What is Paul here? Do you love me? Because Paul, you think Paul was afraid? He didn't want to lose his life. I mean, he'd been beaten before, but he's got scars all over his body. But did he want to die? He went on a suicide mission. He loved people. He loved the church. He loved traveling. Paul loved preaching the gospel. But every time somebody says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. But what does he hear in his spirit? Do you love me? Do you love me? What do you think would happen to the world if every church member who was a Christian, there's church members, by the way, who aren't Christians. Did you know that? In this church, there had been a lot of people who were, were members of the church and not a Christian. Not anymore. Uh, we, we have a new class, right? You have a discovery class, a startup class when you come in. Hey, we want to know your story. When did you become a Christian? Most churches say, hey, you just come down front. Hey, so-and-so, so-and-so has come, and they want to join the church. All in favor say, aye. All opposed say, 
like sign. Have y'all ever, did y'all ever grow up in a church like that? Just vote on them right there on Sunday morning? Anybody else? Who are you getting into the church? Did Paul warn last week, wolves are coming in among the sheep? Yeah, we want to at least know, you got to at least lie to the pastor saying that you're a Christian to get into the church. We want you to give. We want you to pray. We want you to fast. We want you to be kind to others. We want you to be the same on Monday through Sunday, uh, Saturday that you were on Sunday. We want you to throw away the secular and the spiritual and just make it spiritual. We want you to live different than everybody else. We want to do it even in, in work. We call it here in our daycare, our preschool, and also in, our, in, our, um, uh, in our, our academy, we call it the Town Creek Way. We're not going to fight with you. The church of God does not fight. We agree to disagree without being disagreeable. If you can't agree and you just can't square with it, then there's another church down the road that has an opportunity for them to fight. Would you agree? There's a plenty of churches that will fight over budget. Our budget meeting lasted about seven minutes this year. Each year gets quicker because everyone now trusts that we have leadership that's actually working towards the good for those who are called by the word of God, by the name of God. Paul understood this. Paul's coming to the place of each of these places he stops. This is a hard place he gets to, and I'll, I'm going to wrap it up here in about two hours. Paul traveled to Caesarea. There he engaged with Philip. We know him as the deacon or evangelist found in Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 8. Philip allowed Paul and his companion to lodge with him. If you read this so quick, you'll miss and understand what happened in Acts chapter 6 and 8. Who else was elected, if you will, by the church, chosen by the church to be a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? That's what, that's what the criteria was for deacons in the early church in Acts chapter 6. Philip was chosen as one. We know that Philip leaves because of the persecution of the church. Uh-oh. Here we go. Blue's clue. Why did Philip leave Jerusalem for the persecution of the church? Because Stephen was martyred. That was one of his brothers. That's one of his good friends that was in the diaconate with him. We were, we were elected the same Sunday. Me and Philip, Stephen, and, and, and there's a whole, and Nicarnas and there's other names that are listed there. We were all elected the same Sunday. They voted on us and said, you're going to be, we serve the church. But because of persecution, I had to leave and go to Samaria. And then from Samaria, we know that he went down and actually ministered to or preached to the Ethiopian eunuch who became a Christian and took the gospel to Ethiopia, to Africa. And then he goes up the coast. We see him going to Azotus, and then he's going straight up the coast. And I told you, if you remember how long we've been in the book of Acts, a couple months ago I said, hey, shortly we'll be meeting up with a Philip again. Do you all remember me saying that? And here we are. I kept my word because I read ahead. Here we are meeting up with Philip. But why did Philip leave Jerusalem to go to Samaria? Because of the persecution of the church. Who was the numero uno persecutor of the church? Saul, who becomes? Where is Paul looking to lodge? In Philip's house. 20 to 22 years, depending on who you, who you look at, have passed since the time that Paul was standing there saying, hey, let me hold your coat. Let me hold your coat. And he watched Stephen. He listened to Stephen be blasphemed, accusing Stephen of blasphemous things, the, the Sanhedrin at the time it would have been. The Jews brought all kinds of things against Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 8. And I even put, uh, I switched up to chapter 7. I should have put it in order. All the things that were said against him, that he's profaning the name of God. But it was hard for his accusers to look at Stephen because Stephen had the face of what? An angel. The brightness of God was on his face. And even the ones accusing him said, we know this is not right, but we want to say it because 
He's preaching something that's going to, if we abide by it, it's going to change our whole outlook on life, and we have to change our whole lifestyle. No longer are we in charge. We have to submit to the apostles now. We're, we, we're the ruling party. Pharisees and Sadducees, we are the rulers. We set the law. We're the chosen people of God. And if we believe in this Jesus, that means we missed him. And then that means we have to submit to these uneducated men. Isn't that what they called them? But they knew they'd been with Jesus. How do you think Philip would have responded? How would you have responded? If somebody killed your best friend in the same town where you lived, you knew him, your best friend was closer to you than a brother, a man that was full of the Holy Spirit, a man that was a trustworthy man, a man you would trust your family with, and you watched because you saw it, because the church knew, and we have it recorded. Saul overseen, took everyone's coat and watched. He went through the court, the mock court trial, and then he stood there while they killed Stephen. And usually what they would do is throw a man off a cliff, a rocky cliff, and just continued to pound rocks on him until he died. Till they would just crack his skull or injure him where he would, he would basically just suffer to death. That image never left Philip, I guarantee you. You've lost a friend. You've lost tragedy, right? We've had, we had loved ones we've lost. How do you think you would have felt 20 years later? Still is real today. When he sees the face of Paul coming to his house, you, gotta, you can't blame Philip. It's got a flashback. And you're the dude that killed Stephen, my fellow deacon. But what does he do? This is how we know this is true because of the actions. If you miss it, you'll just miss that in the story. Philip allowed Paul and his companions to lodge with him. It had been over 20 years since Paul and Philip were in the same area. Philip served the Jerusalem church as a deacon when Paul sat in judgment and eventual martyrdom of Stephen, his friend and fellow deacon. I gave you the verses there a little bit uh, out of order. I should be 815 should be behind that. This encounter shows the ability to forgive when we have been hurt. Is that true? Can you forgive even though someone hurt you? Say it out loud. Can you forgive if someone hurt you? Should you forgive if someone hurt you? And don't answer this out loud. Have you forgiven because that person hurt you? It could be when you were a child. It could be in your marriage today. It could be in a relationship. It could be financial. It could be an investment. I don't know what it is. Should you forgive? And don't answer this out loud. Have you forgiven? And I hope that your answer is yes. If not, listen, you need to get away with God today at the invitation and say, Lord, I have not forgiven my, fill in the blank. If it's your father, your mother, your cousin, sister, uncle, whoever it might be, let it go because you can't be used by God until you're actually on track with him. Do it God's way, we get what, church? God's results every single time. Stephen forgave. Philip had kept the faith in his fervor for the gospel, evidenced by his four virgin daughters serving the Lord. His family modeled after their father. They served the Lord. While at Philip's home, Agabus, the prophet from Judea, came into Paul and proclaimed that he took his belt from him and proclaimed Paul would be bound in Jerusalem. After hearing the prophecy, Luke, his fellow disciples, and those present begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They knew his fate based on the prophecy from God. We knew the prophecy was the truth. They knew God had spoken through this man. Don't go. You're going to be bound in Jerusalem. Yet Paul had been told by God that you're going to Jerusalem. Paul heard again, do you love me? Paul said to them, stop crying, stop breaking my heart. I am willing to be bound by chains, and I'm even ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul had bold faith. He had matured to this point that God had called him, and he was set on doing what God called him to do. Finally, when Paul would not be persuaded otherwise, the disciples declared, the will of the Lord be done. This is how we should live each day. Would you agree? Would you agree, church? 
But Lord, I'm afraid. This is what I've called you to do. But Lord, they'll, be, they'll make fun of me. I've called you to do this. Lord, I'll lose my job. This is what I've called you to do. If you trust him in the good times, church, it only gets better when you trust him in the bad times. When it's easy, trust him. When it's tough, trust him. Because who do we serve? We serve God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That is true. Even from children, they understand this. Why is it so easy to live like this as a kid, but not as an adult? Because we have an earthly father many times, our mother, protecting us. Can you not see the image that my God gave us family? He's our heavenly father looking over us. He's watching to protect us. Whether we're married, single, whatever we find ourselves today. Divorce, does God care? Come on, church, does God care? It's almost lunchtime. Go get some Mediterranean food. I want to tell you, God cares. He loves you. And when he calls you to do the hard things in life, just understand, hear him whisper, I love you. But Lord, if I have to see that person's face again, I'm going to, how do you think Philip felt? Do you think Philip just wanted to say, hey, Paul, come here. Say, I just want to show you something out back. Let me show you. Come here. And just, this is for Stephen, right? In Jesus' name, right? Do you think it just maybe it crossed his thought? I mean, if I was Philip, I'd just like, man, you killed my best friend. One of my best friends. We had something good going on. We were serving Jesus, and this happened. I just want to crack you in the face for Stephen before you get to heaven, because I can't do it in heaven. That's just the old Southern me, right? That's my sinful self. That's not what he did. He forgave. He ministered. He gave them food. He gave them lodging. And listen, what else did he do? Because it's the church. He encouraged them. He's an evangelist. He's a deacon. He's still serving the Lord, loving Paul, sending him on his way, knowing that he's going in harm's way, because he was one actually in tears. Because he knew the conversion of, of Paul. He knew what he did to Stephen. And he knew where he was going. And he knew the results of the Jews. Because Paul was just doing what everybody else was doing. They said, we're zealous for God. Holy war against the Christians. Because those people of the way are messed up. They're preaching a false Messiah. Is that being said about us today? That our, the Gospels is just something made up, man-made? It is. Let me challenge you. If it's hard and God calls you to do it, do it. Do it, trusting that he loves you and has a plan for your life. Just say to yourself, the will of God be done. Don't use it in a fake way. Don't use it in a way that you mess things up and say, well, that was the will of God. Always pray. Look at Psalm, uh, Proverbs 27 and look at James, the reference I gave you in James. It says, don't say what we're going to do tomorrow. Say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this tomorrow. We trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we do trust you today. Mouthful, earful, a long sermon today, Lord, about trusting you. These historical narratives, sometimes, Father, we can get in and say, yeah, that was just Paul and Philip and Luke, and we almost think like it's a child's Sunday school book. But Father, you give us these real world examples because the world is still real that we live in. We still know we're gonna suffer persecution today for the name of Jesus. We know people will accept Jesus today and some will reject Jesus today. But all in all, we trust that you're guiding our life and that your will be done. We praise you today. And it's in the very lovely name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.